0: door's jammed alara you want to open this jar of pickles for me you want to open this jar of pickles for me you want to open this jar of pickles i loosened it for you
1: you're listening to the secrets of the orville brought to you by the star quest podcast network and our many generous supporters Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli and you're listening to The Secrets of the Orville, where we discuss the deeper layers and meaning in the hit new Fox TV show, The Orville, created by and starring Seth MacFarlane. Today we're discussing the first half season of the show and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Great. So, uh... Just out to start uh, as a, a bit of a um, uh, content warning: uh, the the Orville itself contains m- some mature content relating to matters of a sexual na- nature, and we'll be discussing those as we do all the content uh, in whatever shows we do from a Catholic perspective. Uh, so we, we're not gonna we're not gonna be explicit in our discussion, but we're gonna be discussing issues like. Uh, Sex outside of marriage and homosexuality and other other sensitive issues, and we'll, we'll we're going to do that from a from a from a Catholic perspective. So, uh, if you have kids and you, and you, they're not ready to um, to share that sort of stuff with them at this time, you know this may not be the podcast for them. Uh, that sort of thing. So, I, I you know suggest that you uh, just be aware of that. But like I said, we'll we'll always discuss these things from a
0: Catholic perspective. So and, and to be honest, to be honest, if you have kids, the Orville is probably not the show for them either. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Father Corey. Yes, <laughs> uh, that is
1: true. Uh, so um, the Orville. It's a uh, it's a new series from Fox, as I said, uh, by Seth MacFarlane, who you may have heard of um, Seth MacFarlane uh, is the creator of such TV shows as The, the Family Guy um he was uh, produced in, produced and wrote and starred in uh the two ted movies about the talking the foul-mouthed talking teddy bear <laughs> uh from boston uh, sadly and uh, and uh and other things of that nature um he he tends to be um very he's he's known for low comedy low comedy thank you i knew jimmy you'd find the, the correct term for that uh, <laughs> it's it's the lowest common denominator type of stuff uh, the easy joke that offends to, to you know makes people laugh by by offending someone transgressive humor right and that that uh for me, at least, I w- that worried me a little bit about a new mm-hmm. sci-fi series featuring him. And I, and I wondered what it would be like. I mean, I don't know what it was like for you guys. Uh, wh- what, what was your initial idea or your initial thoughts
0: when you first ho- heard about the Orville? Well, I was, I was afraid it was going to be Family Guy in space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I refuse to watch Family Guy. I've, you know, I watched like five minutes of an early episode and never again. Um, just because it is crude humor. It is very very crude, and it's just dumb humor. Yeah, and that's what I was afraid that the Orville would be like. Um, I will say I was pleasantly surprised. There is some of that, but it, it is nowhere near as as bad as like Family Guy. Um, I know, and we'll talk about this more in depth later. You know, Seth, Seth MacFarlane's love for Star Trek and his desire to be involved in Star Trek. So I, I figured that would kind of balance it out, maybe. But I was still very, very cautious going in that it would be, like I said, Family Guy in space. How about you, Jimmy? Those were basically
2: my thoughts. I'd seen a few early episodes of Family Guy, and while there's some humor in it, it also was a real turnoff. And so I stopped watching the series pretty quickly. And um, I was also very concerned about the level of humor and the kind of humor we were going to get on the Orville. But I was also... You know, pleasantly surprised in that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, or I thought it might be. It's it's definitely got some problematic humor in it, uh, but it's not near as intense as what I had feared.
1: You know, I think part of that is is the other people involved. Now, Father Core, you referred to the fact that that Seth MacFarlane is a huge Star Trek fan, going back years, and and mm-hmm. it's and in, in the he's said in interviews that he's for years he's wanted to do Star Trek, to be part of it, to be in a movie or in the TV show or help reboot a show or th- that he,
2: want- he actually he actually was. He appeared in two episodes of Star Trek Enterprise as an
1: engineer named Rivers. Oh, wow. I guess I don't remember that. I mean, it, it would have been before he would, I would have recognized his face, I guess. Um, but that's interesting. So so when he developed this series, he didn't do it alone. He actually got two people at least, and there might be more, but the two mm-hmm. names I recognized uh, who are involved with Star Trek for many years, uh, Andre Bormanis, who started as the technical, the science advisor and consultant on Next Generation, I think it was, um, and ended up becoming a regular writer and then producer. Uh, and then Brennan Braga, who... Uh, was a producer for um, many years on the different se- uh, series. I think, I'm trying to think of which one he was uh, on. And he and, and both of them have written and directed episodes for the new show. Yeah, so Brandon Braga um, was a producer and writer for First Contact, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Generations. So on you know movies and series. Um, so it feels like a little bit like. This Seth MacFarlane has some adult supervision.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I think it may be uh, something that he's on board with, though, I, I, rather than just the other people playing a restraining factor on him. I think one of the things that he appreciates about Star Trek is the kind of emotional environment that you have on the Enterprise, whether it's in the original series or the or next gen um, where which is an environment that has a very different feel than his other work, like Family Guy. It's just not a Family Guy feel. And it does tend to be more, fa- and not perfect, but more family-friendly. And I, I think that um, Seth MacFarlane is actually on board with toning it down um, from the Family Guy level because you wouldn't have the same aesthetic uh, if you if you did that. In fact, I think he would like to tone it down more than it already has been because yeah. there's a legal reason that uh the humor has to be in the show. Uh if you notice in the early publicity Fox sold this as if it were a pure comedy show mm-hmm. and Mac- Seth MacFarlane was very quick to come out and tell the fans, "Okay, that's how they're marketing it." <laughs> and that will be part of the show, but really, it's going to be more serious than that. And a- we've we've seen much more serious episodes, like the most recent one, Firestorm, had some very deep emotional, very mm-hmm. serious elements in the plot. And um, but the humor has to be there for legal reasons because right. the aesthetic is so close to star Trek and especially mm-hmm. the next gen. If you just look at the sets and the uniforms, it looks like it's very close to
0: star Trek right. next generation. And, um, well, what a, Param- what a surprise Paramount- though, what a surprise though, that Fox would screw up the marketing on yet another <laughs> show, Firefly fans. <laughs> well, yeah.
2: um, But the reason, legally, the humor has to be there is because Paramount could sue the britches off of them if they didn't make this a parody. They have to be able to legally defend that this is a parody of Star Trek in order to avoid lawsuits. And so the humor has to be there in a significant element for them to have a viable defense that this is a parody. Mm -hmm. Even though I think what they'd really like to do is just, let's bring next gen back. Right, with yeah. some light humor elements.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that that genre that it is. I mean, it's in the the feel of the show because you know it is an homage to Star Trek and most especially to Star Trek: The Next Generation. You have um, and, and one of the aspects of Star Trek that that is most beloved is the ensemble nature of the show. You have uh, uh, a, a fair a fair sized cast who you know some get more. F- FaceTime than others, but there, but mm-hmm. it's a show about all of these people interacting together, which, um, as we'll talk about in another, uh, episode of secrets of, uh, where we discuss Star Trek discovery, that'll be the next episode, uh, in this podcast feed you get folks, um, we'll probably discuss about the, some criticisms of Star Trek discovery that it's not like that, but, but in, in this, they're going for that ensemble feel. And I mm-hmm. kind of, the way I kind of, uh, place this in my mind, it's a a workplace comedy in space in a sense mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. The, the, the the orville itself they they right from the beginning they kind of uh, place it as this is not the flagship of the fleet this is right. this is a mid-sized cruiser and the people on it uh, are sort of the average members of this uh, union star navy yeah. uh, i forget what they call See, it it's, it's kind it's of slightly like,
0: below average right yeah. <laughs> It's almost a Discovery class ship or not Discovery, excuse me, a a Voyager class ship, you know, like the size that Voyager was very similar. You could almost imagine it being like, you know, the Enterprise is off doing its flagship thing. And then there's the Orville, this little kind of mid class, not really much of anything to recognize type ship. Yeah, it's even less
2: special than Voyager because it doesn't have the super fast advanced technology that Voyager did.
0: Right. Right
1: right and and you know the captain himself was almost you know cashiered out of the service he was before he was given command he was you know being overlooked because his personal life had become such an issue and we'll talk about that in a bit but you have these these relationships between these these various people um some more functional and some more dysfunctional you have um Crew members who are better at their jobs and worse like the helmsman is supposed to be the best in the fleet, but he's kind of a screw up, you know. Or mm-hmm. you, you have uh, you know these various personalities, various people in, involved in things. Um, and it's, it's kind of nice. It's, and in one sense, it's kind of nice to have a crew that's not always the best at everything. You know, you don't have the, the Wesley Crusher uh, effect of, you know, Wesley, the, the, the 12-year-old who figures out how to fix everything, you know, because he's such the Mary a genius. Sue. The Mary Sue, right. Um, although, let's talk about that for a second. There is some criticism that, that Seth MacFarlane casts himself as the captain of a starship um, in his sort of Mary Sue role. This is a sort of a, a vanity role. What do you think of that criticism?
2: Well, he I wouldn't I mean, what a Mary Sue is depends on how you define the term. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it's a term that originated in Star Trek fandom. And it basically refers to a character, often female, um, that is introduced into a Star Trek fan fiction story and is instantly the center of attention because of how perfect she is. She's just good at everything. She has special abilities. Everyone admires her. And frequently, she dies tragically at the end of the story, possibly after being romantically involved with Kirk or Spock or both. <laughs> and um, and so that's kind of the archetypical Mary Sue. But for me, uh, in order to qualify as a Mary Sue, a character needs to be kind of Wesley Crusher and have these super abilities that are way out of proportion to, the, to what a person would normally be able to achieve Especially at Wesley's time of life. um, I wouldn't view uh, Captain Mercer in that light because he's a broken character. I mean, he may be the lead, and that makes him the center of attention. But if it's the guy who uh, who you know started the show, I kind of, Treat that as a gimme. He wants to play the captain. He can play the captain. But he doesn't Mm -hmm. have any super phantasmagorical abilities.
0: Frankly, he's kind of a mediocre captain.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And people or other crew members are having to prop him up at times and backstop his decisions. And he's certainly not universally admired on every occasion.
1: This is true. So let's talk a little bit about... um, Uh, Captain Ed Mercer and the situation that starts this, and this this kind of unique relationship at the center of of uh, almost literally at the center of the bridge uh, uh, of the the Orville which is this relationship between Ed Mercer the captain and his first officer who turns out to be his ex-wife Kelly Grayson and we see right off the bat in the pilot episode and and folks we're gonna it goes without saying there are spoilers throughout the throughout this podcast
2: <laughs> we're not you know and spoil uh, the first scene of the first episode
1: yes and so yeah exactly but, but we're not going to try to avoid spoilers if you haven't seen the whole season you might get spoiled the whole first the whole first half season but that first see, see uh scene is ed mercer coming home and finding his his wife uh In bed bed with an alien and, you know, cheating on him. And this is the dynamic at the heart of this show. And and in in some senses, you know, and by the end, we we should we should clarify that his wife cheating on him is not constantly
2: the that's not the dynamic. But it sets things in motion because this almost finding his wife breaks up his like this breaks up his marriage and just almost destroys his career. And then he ends up getting assigned to have her as his first officer, which is, of course, completely implausible, but right. we're in a comedy. And so the dynamic between the two of them, is, in the wake of all that, right. is one mm-hmm. of the central dynamics of the show. How do they relate to each other? They establish early on a good functional relationship. And we find out, even though he doesn't know it, that his wife is really on his side and has his back with the fleet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but there's still some residual resentment on the part of both of them towards each other that uh, results in them occasionally quipping to each other about things and just kind of getting in little digs, even though they have at this point, a basically functional relationship and kind of, I guess, one of the overhanging questions is, will it ever blossom into romance again? Because right. it kind of mm-hmm. goes in that direction, but they're sustaining at least thus far dramatic tension on that point.
1: Exactly. My, my guess is, is, and this is just my guess, is that they won't for at least for a long time, um, or it will take a very strange form because they want to keep open that door. Sort of like the, the Captain Kirk door of, you know, romancing the, the green skinned girl <laughs> in a particular episode, yeah. <laughs> um, visiting, visiting beautiful alien of the week. Exactly. I, I'm going to guess that that might, that they might want to keep that door open, but, um, it is interesting to see, and it's an interesting dynamic that, that that exists between them. Is there's a bit like there's a there's a bit of respect, a bit of friendship, but there's still that 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 gnawing uh, fault, that gnawing uh, yep. uh, problem at the center of that working and personal friendship. Um, and and I, I I think that's an interesting dynamic. I don't know that that's very common in in other science fiction shows I've seen or. Um, or, or even just regular, uh, you know, TV shows. Uh, although I, I I tend to avoid uh, um, relationship shows, so <laughs> so you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, the, the what is it? The nine hundred two and O's or the what, whatever that sort of stuff is. So I, t- I tend to avoid that sort of stuff. This one, it's the dynamic seems to be okay so far. Uh, so and it's there's there's been ups and downs. In fact, it was at one point uh, in the, the two episodes ago where we had. Um, a bit of almost resolution or a uh, wrap uh, I'm not say wrapping up but a bit of resolution related to that that event that caused the uh the split between them the 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 mm-hmm. the infidelity is what i'm trying to say um where the the this blue-skinned alien who that kelly derulio derulio yes uh which which is a great name because it kind of has this uh um Sounds kind of Latin, yeah. Sounds you know, kind like it, Italian, like Fabio, romantic, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he shows up, and it turns out that his this particular alien species, they have this, like a cat or a dog, they kind of go into heat and put off pheromones that are affecting both Ke- Kelly and Ed, and Bo- and they they sort of have this romantic rivalry. Um, and over DeRulio over DeRulio. And of course, it, it, this is one of the things we we're warning about. It, it kind of goes in this weird direction where um Ed is it's it's a he's wanting a sexual relationship with him. And they're both male. One's an alien. But it's like it, but it was just a very strange. I don't know about you. I felt forced I, to be.
2: I, yeah. I don't know that I I don't know that it necessarily felt like he wanted a sexual
1: relationship well, as much as a romantic relationship. They were and, naked in bed together about to have sex. Oh, I for- <laughs> I, did I see that scene? I yeah. think you might have blocked it out because I tried to. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, I, remember, I remember that. Of course,
0: that kind of, you know, that kind of misses the whole point of pheromones in biology where it's to attract the opposite gender in order to reproduce in order to reproduce (laughs) exactly and I far as I know they're really you know I'm I'm sure people would oh yeah there's this this species here that species there for the most part at least on earth when species put out pheromone it's the opposite sex that responds yeah and and the response of the same sex is actually I I can think of like rams and elk and things like that violence right they fight over and that's really
1: it, it, what should have happened is, is that that it should have induced, from my point of view, it would have been uh, more plausible if it induced Ed to be more combative with DiRulio fighting for exactly. Kelly, which would have created that interesting, played off that interesting dynamic of, well, but we're separated, we're divorced, you know, mm-hmm. uh, why are you fighting for me? Uh, and and it could have brought us to the same location at the end of it, which is they they realized that maybe her infidelity wasn't necessarily of her her, completely of her free will. I mean, she was, uh, you know, uh, the pheromones interfered with her judgment. And we could have gotten to that same point and yet had Ed, instead of going for the cheap humor, which is, we've, we've talked about of, of Ed romancing the guy, you know, this, this, you know, two guys and a guy and a girl sort of romance uh, triangle, uh, Instead of going for the cheap humor involved in that, we could have gone for more of a, you know, believable, traditional triangle, remits triangle.
2: Which actually they had done an episode or two earlier when Charlize Theron was the beautiful alien of the week who walked through the door. (laughs) And then you had Kelly Grayson being more combative and protective of
1: Ed against her. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, those the, the interesting thing about those two episodes is, is it shows Ed, as we said, as kind of failing in his job. Like he, he's getting caught up in, uh, you know, the 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 romance, getting caught up in a romantic mm-hmm. relationship and and failing to to be competent at being a captain of a starship, um, uh, you know. Kirk was not, wasn't wasn't perfect and he had his failings at times when he was in a romantic relationships with aliens but i mean Ed's track record is not good so far. By the way, no. we should mention that like so the Derulio episode is the worst
2: in terms of the discomfort level that a lot of people Will have. Yes. Um, right. It's it's not like I mean, if you told me nothing else about the series, but about that episode, I'd say, well, forget it. I'm not I'm not interested in watching. Right. That. Yep. Um, but it, there's actually more to the series than that. That episode is unusual. That's kind um, of the low point so far. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, so if if I wanted to, were to think about some of the high points, I would say there were the ones that were that relied less on humorous situations to, to get to mm-hmm. the resolution. And I think the most recent one with called Firestorm that focused yeah, that on was uh, good. Lieutenant Catane. Alana, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was excellent. And it was classic Star Trek and that exploration of... Yeah, of, right. of the psyche of right of human, quote unquote, nature, even though she's not
2: human. But one, one of the things that uh, I was talking with a friend of mine years ago about Next Gen, and we observed that one of some of the best episodes of Next Gen have this Twilight Zone quality like the one where Dr. Crusher discovers everyone on the Enterprise around her is vanishing one by one, Mm -hmm. and nobody Mm -hmm. remembers this. And it's this really creepy, what is happening here feeling. And the Firestorm episode really captured that. You have a character, it is probably the least humorous episode of the whole series so far. You have uh, the Alana character freezes at a moment of crisis and somebody dies and really dies and she's crushed by this event. And then these weird things start happening and they like get the clown aggressively, <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> clown and the doctor turns into a torturous medical experimenter and there are tarantulas all over the place. And and she gets this series of bizarre, creepy events and uh, it that escalate. In and, and their level of creepiness, and it has that Twilight Zone feel that a lot of the mm-hmm. best episodes of Next Gen did.
1: That the uh, another one that had that same feel was the Majority Rule episode, where they find yes. an Earth-like yeah. pl- planet. It's like Earth in the early twenty-first century, and they're sort of it's like social media gone crazy, uh, yeah. more crazy <laughs> than it already is. Yeah, uh, more, yeah. <laughs> and, and where way, everything it, it, in in the society is voted on by everyone. Uh, including including, and that's the justice system Yeah, yeah. So By truth way, is whatever a, is most popular
2: There's a there are, That's a theme that has been appearing uh, In a number of TV shows recently There's an episode of Black Mirror That's oh, yeah. based on that yep. And there's also an episode mm-hmm. of Community That's based on that
1: Yeah, Black Mirror is, had a couple like that One that was darker, like more 1984 One was just a little more humorous uh uh, but it was much, but it was much closer to this style. I mean, this felt like it was inspired by by that Black Mirror episode where uh, you you know you you survive on your upvotes and your mm-hmm. downvotes. Um, so that was a good one, and I also liked uh, very much the uh, the one called If Star, the Star Should Appear, where they find a, a generational ship, uh, this giant yes. ship that in, mm-hmm. is so large that the three. Um, uh, inhabitants m- don't know that they're in a spaceship yes there's three million people living on this ship and um and, and, and it it deals with religion especially with an oppressive religion um and and there's an interesting aspect to this because seth MacFarlane has in the past said that he is not just an atheist but he's uh Virul- virulently atheist he he really yes. really hates organized religion and you know we i don't want to psychoanalyze the guy i don't know his his life history but you know this for some reason uh and so it sort of shows up a few times in
0: in 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 the series yeah. and there's uh, that one that one episode the, the krill where he's just explicit i mean he just puts it out there that as as humanity advances technologically and scientific understanding and all these things, you know, of course we're we're better now than those those primitives back two thousand years ago when Christianity started kind of idea, you know, that religion goes away. But the krill right. who are the bad guys, the well, that's, and he basically he, says that.
2: Um, it, what they say is that the, as societies become more science based, they tend to become more secular. It doesn't say religion I, ceases or goes away, but I that it tends to recede. And that's not an unreasonable cultural observation. Well, if you look at the most technologically advanced cultures on earth, there is a greater element of secularism. Now, you can debate I mean, why that is, whether it's, it's the science that does
0: that. Or not? Admit, you're, you're, my it's been a while since I've seen that episode, but I don't think he said tens. I think the 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 admiral that was briefing him said they become less attached to religion more. It's a statement of fact and because they were amazed that these krill actually still have religion now that they have interstellar travel. I mean, it was just like this. This is incredible. How do they have yeah. this religion still? And of course, the religion is presented as an evil thing in this episode yeah. our, our, our,
2: I think our memories may differ on this because I was as an apologist. I was really focused on that and I could have gotten mm-hmm. it wrong, but I took away from it that it's a societal trend, not an absolute. And they weren't implying that everyone in the union is is an atheist.
0: Well, I, um, and, yeah. and, I mean, I would and, still I would still argue that the um, the premise of as we become more te- technologically advanced, more scientifically advanced, we lose religion. Looking at history, I, I think you know this too, Jim. Jimmy, that there have been times throughout history when religion and practice has been very high and times when it's very right. low, and right. it's not a linear scale. It doesn't drop linearly as we've gone through history. It's gone up and down. You know, there have been times in recent years that we've been more religious practice.
1: Okay. So just to kind of settle the the, the what, what it says, I, I have the script that I found. Um uh, that was fast. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the Admiral says generally when a civilization becomes more technologically okay. advanced, their adherence to religion declines. But the okay. krill are an so, exception. So, so. They've clung fiercely to their faith even into the age of interstellar travel. Now, clung fiercely has has some resonance with an American audience, doesn't it? Like it mm-hmm. reminds us of uh, President People Obama's bitter clingers. Yes. President yeah. Obama's bitter, you know, bitter. They cling bitterly to their guns and religion, uh, reference to some voters in, in 2012. And so it has that that resonance. The thing is, is I think the rest of the episode, it, it doesn't the, the rest of the episode doesn't necessarily attack their the Krill religion. Per se, I mean, they are they are a people of a book. They follow a a a scripture of a, of a sort. Um, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure they're attacking Christianity. Uh, if anything, I would put, compare the Krill religion to maybe uh, the perception Islam. of radical Islam. Uh, yep. uh, so um, it it didn't come across. I mean, in fact, at some points, it felt like the the treatment of like that that Mercer's understanding or uh, or approach to religion becomes I don't know if a conciliatory is the right word, but he's more accepting of the the of that these people are religious. Yeah. This was a point I wanted to make. I've
2: been as we've seen the handful of episodes that are out now, like nine or whatever it is, we've I've been disturbed by the fact that we've had two or three cases of bad religion show up on the show already. Mm-hmm. But when they've shown up, they haven't They haven't gone for the jugular. They have um, they've they've also treated religious people with uh, with a certain kind of respect. Mm -hmm. And so it's not it's like, yeah, there are bad religious people, but there are also religious people who aren't bad. And they've they've tried at least to maintain that balance instead of just saying all religion is bad. And that's good uh, because it's true that yeah. some religious people are bad, some religious people are good. I I, I don't think that um, it should appear, that the scene should appear on the show as frequently as it does. I think that it does <laughs> reveal Seth MacFarlane's viewpoint uh, that this gets onto the show as much as it does. But at least they're trying to be somewhat respectful mm-hmm. and... In fact, even in the Krill episode, what they're trying to do is get a copy of the Krill scripture so that they can understand the Krill better and build bridges with them. Mm -hmm. And so there's a there's a rather than just bash them, they're trying to understand the Krill mindset.
0: Yeah. One thing I I would say, Seth MacFarlane, Seth MacFarlane needs to do is a crash course on Babylon (laughs) five. <laughs>
2: yeah, that because if you want a series well.
0: ri- r- series written by a fairly staunch atheist that really treated religion fairly, yeah, Babylon five yeah. is one of them. I mean, Babylon 5 did a phenomenal job of presenting these different religions, and religion was very much a part of the series. You know, all these different races had different religions. And they were treated fairly. At least I felt they were. Yeah. Um, well, and and
2: I was surprised actually in one of the in actually the last bit of Babylon Five video that was produced, Babylon Five Lost Tales. We actually have an on-screen exorcism with a real demon. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. The the question is what's the nature of the demon,
1: but it's a real demon and yeah. it's really being exorcised. Wow. So. uh, another sort of controversial episode that could have been you know there's there's this idea like you mentioned like they they jump into this issue that could have you know if if they really wanted to take a a progressive ideology to its to its you know extent it could really be bad for people from our perspective um but then they 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 somewhat treat it pretty fairly Uh, another episode that was like that was the episode about a girl um, and mm-hmm. th- the premise in this one is there's uh, an alien uh, crew member named Bordis who belongs to a species that has no females. So they say, yeah. by the way, we should mention um, Bordis is one of a couple of characters
2: that are like it are direct knockoffs of star Trek right. characters. Bordas yeah. is Bordas is clearly Worf. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just like the Android, I
1: forget his name, but
2: the Android Isaac. is clearly data. Isaac yeah. is clearly data. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, and so Bordas is married to Clyden, who is another male of this species, uh, the, uh, Mocklins. And, um, uh, and they reproduce not they don't actually reproduce asexually, but unisexually, unisexually. Right. Uh, they, with an there egg. There
2: are and there are species here on Earth that do that. There are like some some types of fish, for example, that have only females and stuff.
1: Right. And and, and so without getting too deeply into the biology, they they um they produce an egg and occasionally, appa- apparently uh, a mocklin is born female with so there's, there becomes this whole issue of um, it's traditional in, in Mocklin society that if a child is born female, they do gender reassignment surgery and they make them male because that's what they're supposed to be because female is unacceptable. And so on the one hand, this could come up as, oh, it's about transgenderism and how, we, you know, gender is fluid and all this other stuff. On the other hand, I just I don't know if it was really... Like, like, in the end of this episode, they went and found a female Moklin who had been living in, in, in seclusion and hiding. Uh, and, and they kind of came out and said, like, it's OK to be what you are born as. Uh, yeah. You know, that's, there's nothing wrong with being born female
0: in a, in a Moklin society. Well, uh, it, was, it was big. It was, you know, it was important, too, for that, that particular person, because she was a well-respected and beloved poet. Right. On that planet. But women were considered to be weak and unintelligent and inferior in pretty much every way. I mean, there's and she kind of threw some cold water on that idea real quick and said, no, we're not. So it's a sort of a classic Star Trek theme, which is is,
1: um, examining our own prejudices in the light of a science fiction premise. And and I think it's less about the 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 gender wars and and more about just about the idea of treating whole groups of people as if they were all one thing and wanting to be purified of them whether it's race or religion or whatever and or culturally or whatever um it's about treating individuals individually um, for the gifts that they are born with and they have uh you know in the end uh, interestingly enough they the decision it comes down to they actually do go through the gender reassignment surgery which creates an and, ongoing and tension between Bordice and Clyden now and this is what I found interesting about the episode because there are certain expected
2: outcomes in a uh, in in a, in a story um, in this it's like whenever you see a duel between two best friends, you know that somehow the duel is going to end up with both of them surviving. Right. And mm-hmm. and then occasionally you get an episode like Knives on Babylon 5 where that doesn't happen and one of the best friends dies. Yep. Um, and this is kind of like that because in our culture, the expected ending would be that they don't do the gender reassignment surgery on the baby female And they have this glorious statement triumphantly at the end about it's okay to be whatever you're born and, you know, take it in take it in the face. All you people who might want to do the gender reassignment surgery Mm -hmm. on the baby and and they don't do that. They actually do. And so it's a more interesting, more conflicted ending than what you would expect in and what other shows would do um with our cultural expectations at this point.
0: Well I think it was interesting too um, that the doctor refused to do the surgery, you know, basically stating, you know, I will not do this on someone who has not made the choice for themselves. And that's, that's kinda I, I think it's kinda interesting in our day and age because um, that's actually a concern. There are, are are stories of children whose parents have basically pushed them into those situations of being transgender. And I mean, we're talking children as, as young as, you know, seven years old where we might call that the age of reason in the church, but that's a choice that a seven year old is nowhere there's, near qualified to make. There's reason and there's reason. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, and, and of course this, it's also at a time that a child is trying to figure out who he or she is, you know, just what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a girl. And yet the parents have, basically forced this child into whatever the parent wants them to be you know so it's, it's interesting i think that that was actually presented with the doctor saying i can do the surgery but i will refuse to do it because the child needs to make this choice not you which could also
1: be an argument about baptism that sometimes you hear about raising children as a in a particular religion i'm not going to mm-hmm. impose a certain right. Yeah, or, or circumcision. Or circumcision. So I want to keep keep uh, rolling in, in or respect. female circumcision. Oh, yes. there's another one. Uh, I want to kind of cover a couple more things in the, our time that we have. Um, I, wa- I want to bring up... Um, a, a the, there's there's some crude humor in the episode, in, in all the episodes in the series. Um, we've kind of talked that, about that a little bit. Uh, it, Usually it's fairly light. I, yeah. Given what we've discussed,
2: I mean, especially in the Derulio episode, um, we run the risk of making the audience think there's a lot more of that than there actually yeah.
1: is. Right. So th- so we I guess we've covered that pretty well. I want to talk a little bit, too, about the... Um, The technology aspects of the show. So, Mm -hmm. um, for example, there there are a lot of things that are similar to Star Trek. So there's a holodeck. You have artificial life forms like Isaac, like you said, is like data. Um, But they don't have a transporter. And all of these affect the storytelling in different ways. Yeah, because so originally for people who may not be
2: aware, the whole reason Star Trek has a transporter is because Gene Roddenberry didn't have the budget to... To to build a shuttlecraft at the beginning of the series, and he needed to, mm-hmm. a way to get people onto a planet's surface quickly without landing the Enterprise. And then that unlocked a whole bunch of plot possibilities that have plagued Star Trek ever since. Like you get people into incredibly dangerous situations, situations, and then you have this Deus Ex Mahina ending where the solution is beam them out of there, yeah. you know, to get them back to safety. And by not having a, a transporter on this show, it actually increases the drama because you can't just beam someone away from danger and yeah. you can't beam someone out from underneath something that's fallen on them. You have to physically go there and do stuff and encounter the danger without an emergency yep. escape hatch like the transporter.
0: Well, that, of course, that has led Star Trek to having you know rules like. You can't beam through shields until you can beam through shields. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Certain certain radioactive materials prevent transporter signals until it allows transporter signals. The the link, the know,
1: distance that a transporter can work until it doesn't. Yeah, right. And all those things. You know yeah. Scotty always comes up with a way to around it, or somebody, or Geordi, or somebody. The gain and you know yeah.
0: why, You know why they're constantly boosting the game? Why don't they just leave the gain on high?
1: And, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> keep just keep reversing the polarity. That that'll just fix everything uh so uh,
0: player of neutron full o. oh wait yeah. that's doctor who that's, that's star- doctor <laughs> who. Yeah. so
1: there was there was a in a pilot episode there was a great moment with the uh with the holodeck which which kind of plays into it uh, the, the like some of the funny stuff about the star trek holodeck so you have the uh the uh the helmsman uh played by what the character's name is um oh I'm keeping track of them. Uh, Gordon, uh, who's friends with Ed Mercer. Um, and he's on a holodeck when he finds them to tell him that he's coming with him on the ship. And he's having this battle with an ogre and it's just this ridiculous battle. And it, and it turns out that he's programmed the ogre with this nice personality, you know, like his name is like Kevin or something. And, 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 friendly. and yeah, and he's friendly and kind of, you know, just jolly. And yet he's an ogre and they're battling to the death. You know, yeah. it's just this funny, like, aspect, like, the it they really kind of take some of the star trek tropes and turn them mm-hmm. on their head like you know if it were real this is how people would really deal with them so for example yeah. they have a a dining hall um which has a bar and so people yeah. are like always like you know they, they they go down there and they're drinking they're having mm-hmm. they well, had karaoke kind of well, yeah, yeah like it, ten
2: forward it, it, except karaoke is a nice touch yes yeah.
1: exactly <laughs> I was waiting for well, Bordas to sing the song from uh, from Titanic, and they stopped him just as he was about oh, to yes. sing He's "Silent," <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> which is a total wharf moment. Uh, well, yeah. you know one one thing I really I, I get a kick out of is the the crew on the bridge. You know, you see Next Generation. Yeah, there might be a little banter between Picard and Riker. But everybody else is sitting there at their console, straight face, looking at the console or the view screen, military bearing, deep space, yeah, deep space, and they're constantly hitting buttons. And you know, once that ship's set on its course, and as long as things are working right, what are they actually going to be doing on those consoles? (laughs) Right?
2: You you really wouldn't. I mean, on a real ship, you don't need all those people standing around consoles. You have a watch officer who's keeping an eye on everything. You know, and
0: you might be pushed. You know, every couple of minutes, you might look at this. This monitor or that record or you know, make sure everything is doing what it's supposed to be doing. But yeah, then you're going to be sitting there visiting and it's not going to be this sir. Yes, sir. Everything you want, sir. You know, just very straight. Oh, no, they're going to be joking around and there's some silly banter on this.
2: One thing, and this is another aspect of the humor that I'm glad we're bringing out, because it it, this is more the kind of humor that you get on this show than the crude stuff. You also have just playful stuff like The Navigator, different than The Helmsman. The Navigator is a character mm-hmm. named John Lamar and the first thing we learn about him is he wants to know from the captain is it okay to have coke on the bridge <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> yeah so he's got a, he's got like a cup of coke so he can get his caffeine and sugar yeah
1: just just keep uh. it lower than the console like he's it's, it's this very practical like moment where he sells don't some spill like spill it yeah just don't <laughs> spill it on the console just keep it if you can keep it lower than the console okay yeah so I can have it here on the bridge just keep it out of out of the way like it, it's the sort of thing yeah. like, like the first day at work you know you, with the new boss and like and he kind of puts up his hand like uh, by the way, the last captain said it was okay to if I had a coke at the bri- on the bridge is that okay I mean just it's it's that sort of funny little humor that makes it sort of a workplace comedy mm-hmm. a lot like the office in some ways some of the yeah. the, the good aspects yeah. of the office the, the practical joke. With Isaac was
0: I like I got a kick out of that one.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, is, is that a deliberate pun? You got a kick out of the practical joke? <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: No, it wasn't deliberate. You'll, I'm not you,
1: that clever. You'll, you'll have to watch the episode to find out what we're referring to <laughs> on exactly. that one. So, and, I mean, if we're talking about the like, other things we liked, I, I liked the recurring joke between Mercer and his security officer, Alara Katane, uh, which I so love the fact his, that they, they, they name the her kind of like a kitten. Strong-
2: yeah. 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 Oh, I hadn't noticed that. And I love the fact she's this, you know, cute, short little girl, but super strong.
1: Exactly. And he's always tells her like when he needs to like open up like get through a wall or a door, he says, You know, Alara, can you open this pickle jar for me? Like he's yeah, he, exactly. he, he uses that line over and over and over again. And I love that little <laughs> dynamic between them, this like, Can you open the pickle jar for me? Which is this it's, great it, moment. It, it,
2: especially because of the gender reversal there. Normally, you know, women are asking men to do that. And here he's asking this little girl character to do
1: it. Yep, Right. Right. And so that was, that was a lot of fun. And uh, are there other, other aspects, little, little bits that kind of come up for you that you like enjoy? One that I wanted, I have a couple of characters uh, I wanted to comment on.
2: One of them is Isaac, the robot Uh, when he's now he's from this race of robots. And, um And they view humans as inferior life forms. In mm-hmm. fact, all biological life forms almost they view as inferior. And this is kind of a sci fi trope of, you know, the machine exceeding man and so forth. Um, and I, I like in when Captain Mercer first meets Isaac, he's like, wait, aren't you from aren't, isn't your race famously racist? And, right. I, and, and because they have this yep. racial superiority attitude towards organic life. And I love the idea of a racist robot. I find that hilarious. <laughs> um, yes. Also, a character I like, and this is another Star Trek connection, Dr. Claire Finn, the yes. ship's medical officer, is Cassidy Yates from Deep yep. Space Nine. That's right. I mean, it's the same Penny actress. Penny Johnson, Gerald, and yep. Penny Johnson. And she I really liked her on Deep Space Nine, and I really enjoy seeing her here. Strangely, I realized, and I hadn't realized this before, but she's also – she was on 24 for a few seasons. Yep. Where she played a very Machiavellian <laughs> politician's wife. And I somehow, it even though I watched the first few seasons of 24, it never clicked for me that that was Cassidy Yates. Yeah,
1: it was a very different character from her Cassidy Yates character. Uh, yeah. I, I liked it. So speaking of uh, Star Trek crossovers, there's been a number of them behind and in front of the screen. We mentioned the producers. Uh, Jonathan Frakes, who played Captain Riker, he's directed mm. at least one, I think a couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, the, this most recent episode, Firestorm, uh, featured Robert Picardo, Rob the doctor Clark. from Voyager yeah. as, uh, mm-hmm. as Alarra father. Um, yeah. think, and then, then uh, some other stunt casting, we mentioned Charlize Theron, uh, Rob Lowe played Derulio. Uh, we had Liam Neeson playing, uh, the yep. captain of the generational ship. The original, uh, original captain. captain. The original captain. Yes. He was only on uh, recording, um. We've had Kelly Hugh, uh, who's been in a bunch of different science fiction um, shows. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Tambor played Captain Mercer's father um, in, in yeah. an early episode. Uh, so we, I mean, we've had a lot of these, these, these people bringing in people from outside, um, a few Star Trek people. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more Star Trek um, characters or actors show up. That would be fun. Oh, we well, also have Robert Duncan McNeil. Didn't he uh, mm-hmm. direct he an episode? He was on Voyager. Yeah, and uh, he's—I uh, think he directed an episode. I'm not sure if. I, yep.
0: Yeah, he is. He is listed on the IMDb oh, yeah, he, for
1: that. Yep. Yeah, he re- directed the second episode uh, of of that, and so he was uh, Tom Paris in Star Trek Voyager. He's since Voyager, he's been mostly a director, a TV director, mm-hmm. um, like Jonathan Frakes. Exactly. Um, oh. By the,
2: by the way, one other character I wanted to mention that we see a, a, a common theme in sci-fi shows is you have the alien character, like and in, in Star Trek the original series it was Spock. Yes, and then in Next Gen they kind of split it into Worf and Data. Mm-hmm. Um, but you always have some character who is deliberately alien, and there's a question of how far can we push the alienness, and over time as technology and makeup effects have gotten better and so forth. They've been able to m- get more alien than originally. I mean Spock was basically a guy with some face paint and a couple of pointed ears. Um, and that's a whole different scale than say, on Star Trek Voyager where you had um, uh, Neelix. yep right. You know? um, well, in, in in the Orville, now that we have pretty good CGI, They are able to do a really alien character, and we get Yafet, who is a blob. Mm. Right. Literally. I always always like seeing Yafet appear because they—I mean, he has a very human personality. He's kind of fun and friendly to people and stuff. He's not intimidating at all. He's— Kind of happy-go-lucky, but he's a green blob. (laughs) He's also very flirty. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, the first
0: first couple episodes, the only thing he was on the ship for was to flirt with the doctor.
2: Right. Yeah, although I think someone ran through him in a hallway in the first episode. The
0: captain did. Captain Ed did. Well, and in fact, that flirting with
1: Dr. Finn became a key element in that episode with DeRulio where the pheromones affected uh, Dr. Finn. And and it was an interesting play on it where, you know, to, the, Yafit had real feelings for her. And while her and her feelings were chemically induced and yeah. they started this relationship, which was, again, kind of uh, uncomfortable, a gelatinous blob in a woman, they, they made it physical and it was very weird. Uh, I, I feel yeah. sorry for Penny Johnson. Uh, having to act in those scenes. Yeah, with, we do
2: get. An, I, I remember now. We do get a scene in that. Yeah, yeah. imagery. Yeah, it was a little Again, not safe for kids. No alien, but it's real. It's you don't see anything particularly human,
1: right? But you see her acting like something's happening, and that was that was uncomfortable. Um, and, but but I like the character because it's he's sort of he's fully fleshed out. <laughs> in in fully a sense, out. he's fully blobbed out. But like, he's not just a gelatinous blob. He has feelings. He has interactions. This it's and it's good for a joke. And they have Norm McDonald doing the voice. Mm-hmm. It's it Nor McDonald is always great in whatever he's doing. So, uh, uh, so, so there's uh, there's that. So, anything else we need to say about? Uh, I mean. I mean, the one thing we haven't really said right up, you know, straight up and down, how does this compare to Star Trek for you? I mean, is this does this feel like a worthy successor to Star Trek? Does this feel like a good science fiction show for for when we're when we're we're in uh, deluge by super superhero shows and other sorts of science fiction? Does this really call back to the classic Star Trek science fiction for you?
0: I I think so. I personally do. Um. Like I said at the beginning, this 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 feels like as next generation is going on, you've got the, you know, one seven zero one D enterprise flying around, being the flagship and doing all the stuff that the flagship does. And then you've got the Orville going to the little backwater systems, doing the things that the little little, you know, mid class cruisers do. Um, It definitely feels more laid back than Star Trek. Um, and of course we talked a lot about that, but it, yep. it, I, I really, you know, you mentioned earlier that it was, you know, it's, it's billed as a parody, but it really feels like it's an homage to star Trek. Okay. How about you, Jimmy? I'm sure it was. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm, yeah, I agree. It's an homage to star Trek and I think it would like to be even more, I think it would like to be star Trek next generation brought back to the screen, yeah. except for the legal reasons they have to make it a parody. Um, if it, it, as a parody, it and as a an next gen homage, it has a lot of things that I like, um, but I still find I don't think it's as good of a parody as a Galaxy Quest was. Um, <laughs> Galaxy Quest I think was a step up from this, but Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest was only a movie, not a series. Um, but ultimately, I think I'm very conflicted about this. Because even though it has elements I like and it's kind of fun to see next gen type themes again and to have some of that next generation feeling and also have it be a little comedic, um, there's enough problematic content in it that I just look at some episodes and just go, ick, you know, I don't want to see this mm-hmm. and I don't like this. And so I feel torn. It has good qualities. But the bads are significant too,
1: right? I I guess I'm I'm sort of in between you guys. Uh, I I I like it. I'm enjoying it, uh, but it's not Star Trek for me because of the Seth MacFarlane signature uh, humor, and but what it feels like. It feels like. So, you know, Star Trek Next Generation is a is a product of the 80s, and it feels like it has that sensibility. And unfortunately, the Orville feels like it has the sensibility of the of the 2010 teens, um, where 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 art entertainment is more explicit in many ways. Uh, it's cruder. Um, and and while it's it's. It's not Game of Thrones crude, you know, no, or, or violent or, or explicit. I've seen that but I've heard. Yeah, it but it's but it certainly has elements of it. Um, and it, it I think it's the 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 it leans more toward the Better as a, a better as a, as a classic Star Trek feel than it does toward. Uh, it's too much of the of the bad that I don't like. So I mean, if I'm in the balance, I'm, I'm more toward. I like it. Um, I I'm hopeful that it will continue in the in that direction and away from the cheap humor and the and the cheap gags, yeah. uh, and the cheap the the cheap hits that they continue to go for this idea of making sure that when they to approach a, a a controversial topic that it's much more evenly as they have been in in, in many cases, even handed in its approach and sort of leaving it up to the viewer. You know, so how do you feel like this ended that sort of that sort of approach to it? And it will be continuing. It's already got picked up for a second season. Yes, Uh, it's been. Yes, it's quite successful. And that's good to hear so i think that's it from us uh on the orville what did you think of the orville uh give us your feedback let us know visit by visiting tridio.com or the uh, tridio facebook page t-r-i-d-e-o leave us some feedback uh in either of those places Uh, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on tridio.com make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed if, if if this is not how you received it if you just downloaded this off a website or got got it from somewhere else uh, ins- so you can ensure that you receive all future installments of uh, this The Secrets of series uh, including our, we're going to be looking at Star Wars The Last Jedi next month uh, next mo- uh, week you're going to hear uh, us talk about or, uh, next episode I'm not sure when it's going to drop but uh, next episode we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery but uh, until then uh, Jimmy Akin thank you for sharing in The Secrets of the Orville My pleasure Dom and Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Always glad. Uh, once again, I'm Don Bettinelli, and thank you for listening.